listening to the best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. What if there was a place where your hard-earned cash could grow safely and sanely without being pilfered by bankers, Wall Street, tax collectors, or other persons of dubious character? A place where you could say no to the motion sickness-inducing ups and downs of the stock market. Where you didn't have to grovel on your hands and knees every time you wanted to borrow money from some tight-fisted banker who collects all your private data and then turns you down. Such a world sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, it isn't. All you need to do is call toll-free right now and ask for your Living Wealthy Financial Information Packet. It costs nothing and it will tell you exactly what you need to do to chart a more prosperous financial course and take back what belongs to you. So, do it. Call right now. 1-800-382-0830 That's 1-800-382-0830 Or, visit our website at www.livingwealthyfinancial.com You'll be glad you did. When was the last time you paused to think about where you're at in your career? Are you happy with your skills, networks, current job? Maybe you are looking for a job and you feel like you just can't catch a break. You're stuck in a job that's going nowhere and you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Many of us are realizing that the 21st century job market is not the same job market of before, certainly not the one our parents worked in. The rules have changed. Hiring managers and firms are looking for different skills and traits than they once did. Firms are looking for leaders with different approaches than the last generation valued. Perhaps it's time to take inventory, change your approach a bit. Our guest today, Dr. Tracy Weiland, is a global speaker and author on the topic of 21st century career trends and best practices. Her latest book, Employed for Life, 21st Century Career Trends, outlines the vital principles to understand in order to thrive in the new workplace. Dr. Weiland is going to help us understand what it takes to be a leader in whatever career field you have your sights on. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wyland. I'm so excited to have you on the show, not only for our listeners, but for selfish reasons. I have an almost 19-year-old who's getting ready for college, and I know that his career track is looking very different than mine. What advice do you have for these kids going into college today and preparing for their careers? Well, thank you very much for having me, and that is a loaded question, but um, I get asked that often with college students and parents, Um, and, you know, what you're stating is correct. You know, your son's career is going to look incredibly different than than yours did and mine did. You know, it'll be more of a maze. 
So I encourage students to make the most of their college experience, not only in the classroom, but also all of the other activities that they do, because these contribute to skills and experience that they can use for jobs, such as if they're leading a team or a sports team, if they're starting a nonprofit or doing community work, if they're, you know, doing something with other people that they can exhibit themselves as an early leader. These are things that companies are looking for in addition to the great grades. So is conventional college track even feasible for the 21st century career? Well, it depends today a lot on the different careers. You know, I was just talking to a gentleman um, who the employment sector in his state is all automotive and manufacturing. So the career path for someone who wants to pursue that may not be traditional liberal arts. In fact, it might be getting a series of certifications or different building blocks and internships so that person can move into something in the local area. So if you can start to think about while you're in college, things that you like to do that you might be doing well, that could help to give you some guidance on on where your career path might, might go. And it may change over time as well. You speak a lot about leadership. Why is leadership so important in the 21st century career track? Yeah, so that's one of the big changes in the workforce today. We used to want to have good employees, people who showed up at 9, left at 5, and did what they were told, and their managers told them what to do, and they were considered very good corporate citizens. Today, companies are grappling with the next generation of leaders, people who can take the company to the next level, so almost approaching their job as if they were wearing the hat of the CEO, and that's very different. That means speaking up more, raising your hand for high-visibility projects, suggesting lateral moves, so it's a much more assertive employee that many companies are looking for so that they can promote them into leadership roles. But leadership, by definition, assumes that you're persuading, leading, managing others. And a leader, you know, someone in a leadership role needs somebody to lead, right? Well, they say if you're not followed, you're probably not a leader. So even the definition of what is a leader, it's not command control anymore. It is, can you lead a team through influencing and get consensus? Um, You know, can you make your point, um, you know, feasible by having other people agree and even, you know, get on board with you? So it isn't saying, I'm the manager, and so do it because I outrank you. Uh, Many times the the lower-ranked people or the youngest people have the best ideas and become more influential in a company than someone who might have a senior-level position or title. What about this this new generation, um, or this younger generation, the millennials? What kind of issues are they facing in the workplace, and does it jive with their personality? You know, this generation has certain characteristics. Yes, they do. And actually, there's, you know, so much statistics out there about millennials. You know, some people say they're job hopping. Now now the trend is saying that they're staying put. Um, you know, from my work with millennials, the most, most important for them is to listen to them, recognize their ideas, even if they're younger than more seasoned people. 
And number two is that they go to work to make a contribution, and they want to be recognized for making a contribution, not just biding their time and waiting for a tap on the shoulder. Um, I think a lot of the movement we see is, you know, has multiple facets to it. One is, as a millennial, you might have debt. Uh, you may want to be job hopping to improve your financial situation. Or two is you're trying to sort out your skill set, your experience, your career path, and you may say, I may have to move around to a couple of companies or different functional areas until I really can get a grasp on what I like to do and I do well. Hmm. Interesting. And is there a reputation that um, they really have high expectations but don't want to contribute? Do you think that's accurate? So my view is that millennials are, excuse me, one of our most educated uh, generations, one of our most technical generations, and they have high aspirations for themselves. And um, they say, so what, more than previous generations. Um, They don't have all those rules and protocols that many of us had to live by. The good news is, is that the baby boomers, according to Pew Research, are reaching about 65 years old and at the mass of 10,000 per day. That's retirement age for a lot of people working today. So they need replacement pipeline. And interesting enough, Generation X, which is the 30... 3334 to 5354 is the is the targeted pipeline but that's a much smaller generation so companies are saying you know instead of waiting until someone's in their 40s or late 30s i actually have to go start looking younger in the pipeline for our next generation leaders so you'll see the shift is really happening that it can work for a millennial and it's a trend that i think if millennials think about it and raise their hand they could actually move into leadership much younger than previous generations. From a technology perspective, though, isn't the company of tomorrow, or really the company of today, the leading-edge, cutting-edge company of today, so different than these old, big companies that we grew up with? Yes. Uh, Well, many of these old big companies are are also technical. So um, I think what's happening is companies have to adapt to a digital world. And that's what's different is, you know, I was raised in the classical world. Um, The liberal arts degree, you know, was enough or a high school degree to get pretty much any job. Today, companies are, are really trying to survive in a digital world. And so they're looking for expanded skills and experience. Yes, you still need to think and you need to have critical thinking and problem-solving skills, but now you need more. You, need, you do need expertise, uh, and you do need uh, technical know-how because most statistics are suggesting that by 2020, over 75% of jobs will be touched in some way by technology. So we need to all think about our jobs and how to, how to make sure that we're technical enough. But these companies with technology, they can digitize, they can dematerialize. Um, there are virtual companies. I mean, there are, you know, companies are becoming, um, you know, can grow to revenues of a billion dollars in two, three months. I mean, we've seen this um, time and time again recently. And, and they're doing this with so, uh, for, with less employees, um, more overseas workers more technology, less overhead, right, Um, less manufacturing, less facilities, it seems to me that there's not going to be as much of a a job market for the millennials. They're going to have to forge their own way. 
Yeah, and a lot of your points are very well taken. Um, in fact, the biggest fear into the future is software, cognitive thinking, artificial intelligence. You know, we can make using software machines smarter and smarter that they can take on more and more tasks that the humans, you know, could do today. So rethinking your career in terms of how do I develop skills such as computational thinking? How do I target types of opportunities where I can develop the skills so that I am managing the technology and not being working for the technology? And, you know, number three is thinking of entrepreneurial and self-employment opportunities that you can develop in this new type of world where it's demand-oriented or sharing economy or some of these newer trends that really use technology and develop new areas of job creation and, and, um, and career paths. So demand-oriented, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, Americans are pressed for time. Uh, you know, a lot of Americans say they don't spend enough time with their kids. They don't take their vacations. They don't sleep long enough. <clears throat> and so there's lots of demand types of services that have just been developed. We want music on demand. We want our shipping on demand, a shopping on demand, same day, next day. We want food on demand. We can actually have people go out and do our grocery shopping for us. And we even want our dates on demand, like Match.com. And this creates, actually, this trend itself is creating a service economy, an on-demand economy, and opening up jobs, logistics, transportation, call centers, online chat rooms, retail, marketing, customer service, you know, so apps. So even though we're technology-based, a lot of millennials can jump on board with this whole new demand society that we live in and um, create new services or participate in the services. Very well said. You know, it's interesting. If somebody from, let's say, the 40s or the 50s um, were to, you know, if you were to tell them, hey, one day you're going to um, go to a screen, right, and you're going to look at pictures of things that you might want and press a button, and within 24 hours you're going to have it in your doorstep, or within two hours you're going to have it in a doorstep, they'd say you were crazy, right? That's like magic. That's like having a genie in the bottle and, and dreaming something up and having it, you know, poof, there it's there. But that's what we've got today in our demand we, society. Yes, and you know what? You know where that is going to stay because if people are hooked on it. I mean, I can't imagine going to half the stores I used to go to and sitting in traffic, but I could just go to Amazon, Absolutely. quite frankly. Um, the other one is sharing economy. Um, this is another social trend that is driving industry. I'm guessing you probably have Uber or Lyft in, sure. in your area. That is, they've become the family chauffeur. And in fact, I am reading, meeting more and more drivers who are women who are saying, you know, I, I would drive the soccer kids, but now I can make money. I'm, I'm carting them around and I can make extra cash or I can do it in between stops. And sharing, we're sharing houses, Airbnb, you know, we can rent out extra rooms, we're sharing the cars, we're sharing bikes, clouds, and I shared a Christmas tree this year, you know, so the sharing economy or the we economy is another trend. It's about a $26 billion market that is creating, you know, new jobs and services. How did you share a Christmas tree? Fascinating. You know, I'm out in California, so everything's, you know, a little green out here. Um, but we had a forest, like a forest grove, and um, they they 
grow Christmas trees and they pot them and then they drive them to your house employing lots of people and they drop them off and then you rent it for the month and then they coordinate picking it up and if you want you can name it and you can have your same tree back next year. It might be a little bigger because it gets replanted out in their growth and um, and you can you know relax that you're not throwing a Christmas tree out on the sidewalk. I absolutely love it. And, you know, this whole sharing economy, if you think about how, you know, that's a form of, in the future, the industries, like the car industry and the housing industry, it's going to be very different because the millennials don't want to live, or really, if they're going to be sharing um, in this this trend, right, they don't want to live out in the middle of nowhere or out in the suburbs. They want to live in the middle of where everything is at, right? And they don't really need cars because they share cars. And their housing is going to be smaller. And so it's really interesting seeing these future trends in industries, how 10, 20 years from now, they're going to look very, very different than they look today. Not everybody's going to own a car. Yes, that's right. And you don't really have to. And, you know, but you'll need new kinds of jobs, like people to audit, you know, if you're going to share your house, you know, people have to make sure that you can rent that room. Or um, if, if you're a business and you want to share assets, well, you need someone who can go in and assess. Um, so there'll be, you know, corporate sharing managers. You know, you can see a whole bunch of different kinds of roles being developed. So where I don't look at the traditional as replacement of jobs, I actually see some of these trends are just a new wave of job creation. Very cool. So you have a term that I've never heard before. Um, It's called career selfies, and you're actually on a speaking tour advocating career selfies. Yeah, so I read this statistic. It was about a month ago. Google published it, and they said that on the Android alone, individuals were taking 93 million selfies per day. And I said, oh, my God, we are spending a lot of time looking at ourselves. But we're looking at our physical self, our photos. Are we spending just a third of the amount of time looking at our careers? And I try to find a great statistic on career development. And the only one I could find is that college students after graduation were only spending about an hour and a half a year on their own personal career planning. And I said, something's wrong with this picture. You know, you have to get your career in focus as much as you focus that photo for your selfies. So I tell people, take a career selfie. So what would that look like? So a lot of it is planning, and I know that you probably speak a lot about planning, and so it's not too different. I encourage particularly young people to remember you're going to be living a lot longer. Uh, Projections are to 100, even 120 years. That means you're going to be working for 50 to 70 years. That's twice as long as your parents probably worked or thought you would work, which means you might be outliving firms. You might have 15 to 20 different career stops, and you need to start thinking about your own personal career adventure. At any given time, what is it that you do well, that you like to do, but you do it well enough that you can either get paid for it or get promoted for it? And this is how you can start to map out by creating goals and targets for yourself. You can continue to change them. My goodness, if you're working for 70 years, you can have a lot of interesting careers. But start to plan it so that you're always on top of it. So 
What kind of testing or assessments or thinking does someone can someone use in order to really understand what their gifts are and what they do well? Yeah, you know, I I remember reading years ago about some of the top chief executive officers of, you know, great firms that they would actually do personal off-sites and it was interesting they would just take themselves away for a weekend and contemplate. Um and then I, you know, and I said that's very interesting and I I did that for myself and I said that that's a very good planning tool because you start to just be by yourself, turn turn off all the noise. But then I realized that other CEOs were saying if you can't assess yourself then Talk to a couple of friends because you're not not just your you know family, but talk to people who observe you, your skills, your talents, what you do well and what you don't do well, and have them also give you some input. Number three is start to explore. You know, I'm a big fan of people, if you're in a company, do some lateral moves. Now, companies are much more open to lateral moves today. If they're not, suggest it. I had to do that years ago and just say, you know, I really am good in manufacturing, but I'd like to explore a little more. Is there possible for me to take a six-month to a year assignment in marketing just to see if that's a good fit for me? And, you know, the company actually said, sure, that's actually very provocative and interesting. Um, the third area is raise your hand for high-visibility projects and cross-functional teams. If you're working in a company, there's always a technology project, whether it's a new database, a new website, or a new enterprise resource planning system. Raise your hand and say, I'd like to sit on that team so I can get some experience, skills, and exposure to something that I don't do day-to-day. Hmm. And what about someone in terms of a younger person who's not in a career track or in, in a, working for a firm? How do they figure out what they're good at? Besides, you know, like I tell my son what I think his gifts are, right? But it doesn't necessarily translate into something that he might be passionate about or really love. Yeah, so a lot of that has to do with exploration. You know, I know that internships are, are hard to get, although people are much more proactive about internships. And I'm meeting students who every summer go take a job in an industry, even if it's like food service with McDonald's one summer, and then, you know, maybe a marketing firm a different summer so that they can get their hands and feet wet. Other students tell me that they really get involved with community initiatives. So one was telling me how he loves golf, but he started a business, a nonprofit business, of collecting golf clubs and donating it to kids' groups who couldn't afford golf but wanted to learn. So I think it's a little bit of leaning into your different interests and start to factor in, is this something that you could make a career out of, or is it a hobby that maybe should just be left as a hobby? Yes, I think that's great advice. And I love that idea, that not-for-profit, of collecting golf clubs for kids' uh, golf camps and lessons. What a great idea. Yeah, and it was, you know, what I say is, you know, this this kid did it in high school, which is pretty amazing. Probably will cue him up for a great college experience because he's already set himself apart. Um, but he's also assessing for himself, 
is golf just um, a hobby for himself, or could he make a business out of it? And you know, and he's showing leadership capability. So a company would grab onto that 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 kid and say, "Wow, he exhibited early leadership." I met another two women who told me that they couldn't get a job when they were out of college, so they went overseas taught English as a second language and came back and got in a great firm in the Midwest into leadership track positions because the company was so impressed that they figured out something to do with their time and they really wanted um, people who, who had international background. And they went overseas on their own said it was kind of scary, uh, remote country, and then taught English as a second language for the summer and, and just put themselves plop into a company and career track. I happen to think that the more different your background is um, in terms of kids and career tracks, right, the more you can distinguish yourself, uh, even weird, right, um, what we might consider weird, uh, that filters out companies that may not be interested in you, but it certainly makes you pop out, stand out for the companies that are going to have an interest in you. Yes, and you know, and I think that's interesting. In addition to the key skills, I'm never going to deviate. You know, you need to know how to read, you need to know how to write, do math, of course, um, and I incurred science and technology. But if you can set yourself apart from the pack and market yourself effectively, um, of course, you can you know help brand yourself as being unique and you know different. And that's something that's quite appealing to a lot of companies who are looking for, you know, different kinds of leaders in, in the mix. So let's take a break right here. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Tracy Weiland, an international speaker and author on the subject of career viability and job trends in the 21st century. We will dig deeper into the principles that can empower our careers right after a quick break. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you're just now joining us, we are speaking with Dr. Tracy Weiland, whose latest book, Employed for Life, 21st Century Career Trends, explores the changing workplaces and what it takes to build a successful career these days. So, Dr. Weiland, you were speaking about, um, or you make the distinction between the successful A player of the past and the T person today. So what's the A player before of the past and the T person? Define that person today, and what's the difference between these two? You know, in the past, A player was the person who came to work every day but also had this aspect of an individual contributor, someone who could dive and catch, you know, and save the game. And the company would say, look at that person. That's an A player. That's the star. Everybody needs to be a star. Today, companies are saying, wait a minute, we need more T people, and that's transdisciplinarity. That's a big word, so let me just think, you know, help you understand. Just think of a T. Companies are looking for someone who has breadth and depth, so they have their expertise. 
They're also T for technology, but also T for being a team player. And as we talked earlier, companies are realizing that the world is too complex. One person can't save the day anymore. It's got to be a team, and a team would have a lot of assets and a lot of value that they can bring to this complex world. So we've shifted from rewarding the single sole person, the lone wolf that saved the firm, to a more complex person who has skills, expertise, knowledge, technology, and team, team skills. So how does this person or how does a person develop this multidisciplinary skill set? Yeah, a lot of it can happen inside the company, and a lot of it can also happen outside the company. And I view these two as being very integrated today. It isn't like you just go to work and do a job. You approach your work as, as more of, what, what am I doing here? What's the exchange between me and the company? What skills, experience, and expertise can I gain during this time, the tenure that I'm at a firm? Because remember, people really are staying in jobs now really five to seven years. Years. So what can you really bring to that experience and what can you get out of that experience so that you can move on either to another role or opportunity? Outside the firm, I encourage people to volunteer, join professional associations, think about ways you can build up skill gaps. Maybe you're sitting on a board at your kid's school and you're, bringing, you're developing financial skills. You, you volunteer to be the treasurer or you're, you know, um, participating in a community event and you develop organization and project management skills. So the experience and skills can be developed both while you're working and outside of work. And, and that's how you create your own multiple, you know, interdisciplinary style. So the team also, you know, just the, the whole culture of team, every team member has to have the same kind of mindset and team concept. Otherwise, the team's not going to work. So it seems to me there's a whole different personality and dynamic of the teams today than of before. Yes, and what's becoming very important, which I encourage people, before you apply for jobs, understand the company that you're working for, that you're applying to, because corporate culture has changed significantly. It used to be that if you worked for one big firm, you could move to another big firm, and it would be the same. Well, I can tell you the culture of Facebook is very different than the culture of Google, which is very different than the culture of Cisco, which is very different than the culture of HP. And you personally may not fit into the dynamics of the culture. So it's important that you go to the website, you watch the videos, you understand the culture, you understand if you will be working on teams and what are the team dynamics, the goals, and the roles. Um, And is that something that you are comfortable with? Because if you join a firm and the culture and you don't fit, let's face it, you're either going to self-eject or the company will politely eject you in some way. So I think it's important for people to understand that no two companies are the same anymore, and culture is a big one, and teams have their own culture. I also encourage people who are out in the social media to try to meet people working for firms in their own age group, and I ask them, you know, ask them, what is it like to work in a company? What's expected? What do you, you know, what's the culture like, so that you know if you're a good fit or not. Is there a difference with the skill sets of women and, and men 
when it comes to team culture? You know, that's an interesting question because I don't think, it, you know, I don't look at skills, experience, expertise as gender related. I think many skills can be learned uh, regardless of gender. But with that said, I did do a massive study in 2013 on women and women in leadership. In that study, both on the survey side and in the interview side, women felt that they were, they ranked themselves higher, quite frankly, in uh, team building, communication skills that included writing, negotiating, and um, just vocal communication and speaking, and having the ability to um, describe, like really reading between the lines, you know, which is cultural nuances and, and politics. So I, I, you didn't hear it from me. You heard it from the women who I interviewed and surveyed, and they felt that they had were much stronger in these areas, which, by the way, are the modern leadership skills that companies are looking for. But isn't, you know, not to be um, gender biased, but I believe, you know, genders, and actually it's not me, It's I think the sociologists and the behavior those that have studied behavior just you know women are more intuitive women you know are more gatherers they are more um used to hanging out with other women and talking and expressing themselves and getting things done men from way back right were more of the hunters and um not necessarily team builders they were more competitive and individualistic and rugged not that well, they can't learn, right? Right. But right. Well, a lot of the women said that they were taught different things than their brothers. So they were taught to play well together and not compete, or to communicate more, <clears throat> or to be you know more feminine versus masculine. Today, a lot of these same women say that they're raising both of their children to be playing soccer and competitive and both of their children to be team you know team oriented and have masculine and feminine skills mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think it's you know it's it's just how are you raised and what kind of roles and protocols did your family expect of you um, and you know what part is your background play into it religion there's a lot of factors interesting right uh, i think there's merit in both sides of that because that's very very true the girls today they're very competitive right and the boys are expected to play as a team and work together in a team. And a lot of college um, classes have projects, uh, a lot of team-building exercises in, in college, a lot of projects um, that, you know, they are expected to work well together with, with other students. So I think that makes a, that, that's a, a good point. And well, you know, part of the study, by the way, was we asked women to rank and themselves on confidence and assertiveness, and our young millennial women rank themselves higher in confidence and assertiveness over our boomer women, our Generation X women, our Generation X men, and our Generation Y men. So the only group that was higher, ranked themselves higher in assertiveness and confidence were basically boomer men. So I think there is a new wave of assertiveness and confidence in, in each generation, you know, coming through the pipeline, but particularly our millennial women. So we know the baby boomers and we know the Generation X. Who, who's the Generation Y? 
That's a millennial. So Those are the millennials. Okay. Yeah, in, interchangeably. Okay. Okay. So following your passion at work, you say that's not going to work anymore, right? It's more about personal exploration. Mm. Define what you mean by personal exploration. So I think people get really um, anxious, quite frankly, and people say you have to find your passion. And you say, well, I don't know what it is, so I lose out. How do you find your passion? Well, it's the same way that we raise our kids. We try to expose them to piano and Spanish and soccer and technology, right, to see what what are they leaning towards, what do they like to do, what are they doing well, where do they show talent. Well, that shouldn't stop. Individuals and adults need to continue to evolve themselves and say, well, maybe I really liked marketing or sales, but I seem to be very intuitive about finance. So maybe I can explore, uh, you know, moving into um, a combined hybrid marketing finance role in my company. Maybe, you know, I have have changed. And so I think putting people in a corner saying you have to find your passion, um, you know, and keep at it, you know, and work at it for 70 years is is very unrealistic. I mean, I meet musicians all the time who said my passion was music and then I grew up and now I'm a music producer. You know, I realized that the music was a hobby, but it couldn't sustain me for the long haul, and I had very good business skills, and now I can combine the two. I have a client, um, a very successful client, who refers to himself as a dumb drummer. He's a professional drummer. I'm using his words, so I'm certainly, I I know he's listening and he's going to laugh, but um, he has um, a knack for building wealth and investing, and um, but he refers to himself as a dumb drummer. He loves music, but he's made a fortune uh, investing. So it's fascinating. Um, you're right on in, in what you're saying. It's exactly well, right. And- and what he's, what you know, your client is doing is is exactly what I hope other people do. Is you don't have to quit your day job, you know. So if you're a drummer by day, there's no reason why you can't explore financial investments at night, or art on the weekend, or you know, other skill building activities or career options. Some people even moonlight. Um, you know, there's you don't have to quit your day job to explore. You can you can you know, life is full, but you can try different things. Along, along the path. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, when you're trying different, different things, I think it makes for a more interesting life. And my understanding of this new generation, they're a lot less materialistic um, than the baby boomers. Um, they don't seem to need as much. They're... Um, besides the enormous debt they're walking away with when they graduate from college, they're really um, not into the stuff that the other generations are into. And so when you're living a more minimalistic type of lifestyle or don't have as much baggage and as much um, need financially, then you can invest in experiences and do more exploration. Yeah, I remember um, when, the, you know, the boomer generation was, you know, the size of your office, the location of your office, the parking space, the type of car you drove. Did you have a big house? What kind of zip code did you live in? All of these were highly valued um, because it meant something. 
it meant that you made it. And today, that that is not the standard that many people approach their life with anymore because they're like, well, I can't take that with me. Who cares? Um, so it is interesting, and, and I think it does open up many more facets and opportunities for people. I agree with you. This whole, you know, marketplace, career marketplace, uh, there's this movement called Conscious Capitalism, which you might mm. be familiar with. Um, are you seeing that shift? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's in a big way out here in Silicon Valley. I mean, the CEO of Salesforce.com is really taking a leadership role. Um, he's transforming um, San Francisco. Uh, basically, his philosophy is that you need to give back not when after you die, you need to give back while you're making money and improve the surroundings that you're in. Um, so, you know, we see a lot, the Whole Foods, um, you know, a lot of activity with social entrepreneurs. It's actually now degrees and certifications that people can get. Um, so, yes, I, I, it's particularly relevant in where I live in Silicon Valley because people do want to give back, and a lot of them give back by using technology and money. So when you say there are degrees and certifications, in, in what exactly? The conscious capitalism or giving back or...? Social entrepreneurism. Ah. It's um, actually included in a lot of business schools now, and actually um, probably in law school as well, where you can actually take courses to understand the double bottom line and how can you build a nonprofit today um, that is efficient but also, you know, contributes. And a lot of young people are very interested in this, um, shying away from the traditional financial firms, which is almost like winner take all, or the, that's their view of it, but rather how can I, you know, sustain a business but give back. I mean, a good example is Tom's. For every shoe, shoes that you buy at Tom's, they donate one to a child in need. Um, so there's a lot of these kinds of new startups happening, um, giving back, you know, to, to, you know, there's a food startup out by me called Muntry. For every meal you buy, they donate one meal to someone who's, who can't afford to eat. So there's a lot of these um, types of models, new models. So you're right in the heart of the technology capital of the world. Yes, yeah, we're uh, yeah, I'm down the street from Facebook, HP, um, you know, even Angie's list. I mean, we have Groupon, we have all kinds of um startups and my neighbors are probably all developing a startup. <laughs> even the people who work at Starbucks or have startups, and the people who drive the Uber cars are people usually developing a startup and then doing Uber driving to to supplement it. Yes, and I read a really interesting article. My my son went to an entrepreneur camp in Silicon Valley this past summer for five weeks, which was fantastic. And I read an article regarding um, how Silicon Valley is such a hotbed for um, not only technology, but but uh, in terms of starting business and entrepreneurship, because they're very there's so many people involved in starting businesses, and it's a very open culture. They're very giving with help and information a lot of mentoring, a lot of coaching. Um, they're not as selfish or self-centered with their information. It's not um, as competitive, even though I'm sure it's very competitive. It's not as competitive when it comes to helping others start businesses. Have you found that to be true? 
Yeah, well, I find that, um, you know, people move to Silicon Valley because they have interest in technology, and this is an area where you can really bring it to fruition. So you're going to be with a lot of people with the same value systems and interests. I find that people who come to Silicon Valley want to change the world for the better, and that seems to be a mantra, and technology is one of the ways that you can change the world, and it makes sense to help people. And you've got to remember, technology people love to show off their skills. So, you know, if you're an expert, you know, expert programmer, you know, you love sharing, you know, your knowledge with other people. There's um, a great coffee shop here that's very popular called Phil's, um, P-H-I-L-Z, and that's where you go now. This is the in spot now where a lot of entrepreneurs just hang out all day collaborating. And so I'm glad your son did that experience because I think it's wonderful and, and important for the future to have people understand that technology and entrepreneurs is a good fit. Do you think that degree is important? I mean, if, if um, someone came to you and said, you know, I'm about to invest four years of my life and $160,000 uh, in this to get this degree, or I can do something different with that money or time, what would you say? Yeah, I think it depends on the individual, right? There's going to be people who are natural entrepreneurs and can manage their lives and their careers. And there's going to be other people who really need the support and infrastructure of working in a company. And my sense is that we probably need both. Um, I think that in your career adventure, you may want to plan uh, working for a startup. You may want to plan for working for a large company to get processed and even try your hand at, at developing your own. In terms of degrees, you know, you got to think about future employment and what's going to stay relevant. Um, technology is always a big degree, uh, computer science, because every industry is impacting computer science. The gotcha with computer science is you have to stay current, very much like an accountant, very much like a medical doctor. And you have to have some sort of inclination and actually enjoy it if you're you know, interested in programming. And people can try that actually on the side. There's actually free programming now online, Code Academy. There's a lot of different programs, so you can even just test and see, do you have the wherewithal to be able to, to pursue that? So it, it really depends on what kind of career um, and who you are, what kind of role modeling you had, you know, expectations. There's a lot of factors in, in choosing the degree and, um, and versus not pursuing a degree. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think if it comes to technology or science, um, engineering, certainly if you're going to be a physical therapist or a nurse or a medical doctor, you certainly need that degree. But I think if someone is a learner and can is self-disciplined, there's so much um, free information out there and, and ways to learn. Uh, Code Academy is a perfect example, right? And there are tons of these um, universities and online learning uh, opportunities where someone doesn't have to spend a fortune uh, learning and, and getting good at a, a particular subject or or trade. Uh, and, you know, we do a lot of college planning, and one thing that we see that I just um, it breaks my heart for these kids and these families. Uh, you know, when it comes to spending money on college, a lot of these families, what they're doing is, um, you know, investing their cash flow and their retirement mm-hmm. on a child's education. And when these children are coming out with, uh, you know, degrees in, you know, liberal arts degrees, classical education, which at one time was great, um, they're coming out and not getting jobs. And they've spent 
over a hundred thousand, sometimes two hundred thousand dollars on a degree, and they can't do anything with it. Very I know, sad. I know. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of students here um, who can't afford college um, pursue the community college path for the first two years, and then use that as a way to get into the high grades, keep costs down, and then high grades to get into what they hope is, you know, a better opportunity, and then also develop something. I mean, it's if you can develop, um, you know, a startup or, or do, you know, or, or a nonprofit or do something and use your skills. But it, it is, it is hard. Other people just say, well, maybe I can get into a firm that has tuition reimbursement. Um, and I've used that strategy for my advanced degrees. Um, you know, we could not afford beyond my traditional college degree, so I joined companies that funded my master's degree and my doctoral degrees. And um, and so I think, you know, you can start to think through different strategies depending on your wherewithal. Your website is tracywylan.com, T-R-A-C-E-Y-W-I-L-E-N.com. Any other information you'd like to share with our guests on how they can reach you? Sure. So my Twitter is at, at Tracy Weiland. Facebook is Dr. Tracy Weiland. I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm also on Pinterest. So I'll be pretty easy to find if they have any questions. And we will certainly link to your website, and the podcast will be on our livingwealthyradio.com uh, website. Thank you so much for helping us better understand the changing workplace. You had some great insight and information, and uh, really uh, appreciate you being a guest today on Living Wealthy Radio. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.